0: Welcome to the Big Kickoff Football Show, myself Roy Shanahan, David Bugle, and Neil Dobbs from the now, the FIFA Global Summit had a huge topic for debate and it was proposed to change to the World Cup every two years. Dave, you were taking a look at this and there's many against it, isn't there?
1: Yeah, there's many against it and uh, it's interesting. There's uh, Obviously, the Global Summit has been on today. and Before I get into some of the details, let's face it, it's literally money, money, money. Um, long story short, um, they've been proposed what has been shared with them today, that if they decide to do uh, a World Cup every two years, um, so over a four-year cycle, um, their predicted increase from $5.3 billion to $8.6 billion over a four-year cycle. So there'll be an increase of $3.3 billion in additional revenue between gate receipts, media rights, and sponsorship. Um, and here's another thing that I forgot that's also ridiculous. It's now going to be a 40 tournament tournament. Uh, in 2030 as well, which is another silly thing, but that's for another day. So, shockingly enough, well, not shockingly enough, uh, half the African governing body has given its backing because, no doubt, um, the, the the general consensus, which I'll get to in a minute, is the uh, is the extra revenue that's going to be shared across all um, um, national associations. But, obviously, UEFA's governing body and CONMEBOL, which is South American's, uh, uh football and governing body, they are strongly against this. Obviously, they're coming up with different proposals themselves. Like They have the finalissima, a finalissima next year, which is like um, the Euro champions against the Copa America champions. And then after the 2024 Nations League, there's a proposal for the top South American teams to join the Nations League uh, for the 2026 tournament based on the fact that most of their friendlies are in Europe and it's the same calendar, and they'll just slot in playing some of the best in Europe. And it's another kind of who are the best between Europe and, and South America. So uh, long story short, they were told about the increased revenue of £3.3 billion. So that would mean it would be um, around £12.1 million every four years allocated to the, uh, every national association. So that means um, there's no precise method of how that's going to be distributed. But Wenger is determined to reduce the gap in funding between the richest and poorest countries and in turn increase the chances of players from the poorest nations being developed. But well, that all, all well and good. He might mean well in a, in a football sense. But let's be honest, the fat cats want more money. So to counteract that, a report was commissioned by the World League Forum in November. And they said that FIFA's proposal could cost domestic leagues in UEFA about 8 billion euros a season in lost TV rights and commercial agreements. And on Friday, UEFA published a report carried out by a consultancy firm, Oliver and Oldow, which said changes to the international calendar would see revenues drop Between two and a half and three billion for European national federations across a four-year cycle. So, the long and short of it means uh, for me is it's money and who who gets the bigger share, and that's what this is about. That's what it looks, sadly enough. As much as Wenger might um, go on about the lesser nations getting more and more money, let's face it, the big boys are fighting over a lot of dollars.
0: And this is really just between the federations, Dave. Because as you rightly said, there yes. FIFA are, are really looking to nab UEFA's money.
1: Yes, so there you go. Look at uh, UEFA could potentially lose about three or four billion, and then obviously, uh, shockingly enough, FIFA are going to generate an extra three point three billion. So uh, I don't get why we need a World Cup every two years. I think it dilutes it. I think they're already diluting by making it in a twenty eighteen tournament. Um, so I'm very confused I'm very confused That Langer can talk about The nice football side of it But let's face it A lot of people who Are uh, looking at the bottom line are They're more, more happy with that Than whether um, Equatorial Guinea Or God knows Who are down the very bottom uh, are, are getting their fair share of money They won't give two craps If anyone makes it from there It's the fact that You're bringing in An extra 3.3 billion Let's do it who cares if it's for the greater good of the lesser nations? But they won't give it, uh, uh monkeys about it. And obviously UEFA and Cromobol, like It'll be the equivalent of the World Cup becoming the Champions League and then the Euros and Cop America becoming like the Europa League and Conference League. Because Cop America would suffer in no two ways about it. So would the Euros. So let's face it, we've we we all we, we've been here before, lads, last year with the whole Premier League shake-up. It's, it, it, it's now the governing bodies now fighting over the money instead.
0: Yeah, Neil. When you look at it from a footballing point of view, surely football fans wouldn't even want a World Cup every two years.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, it lose its prestigiousness, I guess. When you know you look at a World Cup, it's every four years for a reason. It's meant to be something that you build towards. Um, obviously, from an Irish perspective, it's something that you aspire to to get into. Don't mind winning. Um, But for many people You know You get your Well for us In Europe You get your Euros Every four years Your World Cup In between So you get a really Really top quality tournament Every two years Which is the way you like it When you start diluting it When you start bringing over The South Americans Like let's be honest Even if Ireland Were a powerhouse You know like a France Would you really care about France playing, you know, as Dave was saying, someone out of ocean or someone out of one of these other groups, I wouldn't. Any of the South American teams, I wouldn't. So I want to see France versus Brazil in a World Cup. I don't want to see them in another tournament that doesn't have, you know, it, it, it dilutes it and it means a whole lot less. And um, Looking at the FIFA and the, the UEFA kind of uh, uh sorry, the releases today, uh, the UEFA president, Alexander Seraphin said that he says it's good financially he's saying what Dave's saying is that you would be killing football and he's spoken to his people and he's saying that people are having a hangover from even last year's Euros, let alone from a World Cup, how the players react, how the players are, are so tired, how they, you know, get into their domestic season, which we all watch in the English Premier League. So the knock on effect of seeing the players that are already jaded from meaningless tournaments, I would say, and then coming back into the even the Premier League, that type of thing on your normal, you know, your Liverpool your Man United's um, also has an effect because you're you're these you're, not, you're never seeing the players at their best. So overall, as Dave is saying, it, it's it's money, money. Um, but as a fan of football, i I've, I've no big interest in seeing anything else other than what we have at the moment.
0: Dave, when you look at it and you see the two, I suppose biggest federations with Europe and South America, and they're not really interested. This doesn't really stand a, a chance in hell, does it?
1: Yeah, like, if I know with the kind of FIFA presidency, it's one national association, one vote, so I don't know if it's going to be something similar in this sense, or is it just each continental um, federation, one vote? I'm not too sure, but the fact that the two big players aren't going to be, obviously, um, uh, what's the right word, They're kind of backing this, I just don't know where it's going to go. Um, obviously, everyone else, I think, will be very interested because... um.
0: But do you think, Dave, Dave, do you think even if there was a vote and every other country voted it in, do you think that Mm -hmm. the South Americans and Europeans would still go with it? Just tag along, oh, we lost the vote. Uh,
1: Uh, For me,
0: me, I don't know if I could see that.
1: No, I don't know. Like, if it somehow was pushed through, it it wouldn't be the end of it. Let's face it. Like, the the European countries, I think, would gather together, and I think South America would get together. But to be honest, like exactly, I just I think it just turned very messy. And as as Neil said, there'll be a tournament every summer, and the elite players will probably stand up and go enough's enough. You know, we're playing too much as it is, and uh, every other summer there's that that's the one carrot that they have that they get a a four week break instead of the usual two weeks after a, a big tournament and straight in. If it went, if it was to go through, that's where the real drama will begin because UEFA and Commonwealth will obviously kick up a bus but also you've got players' associations will probably st- uh, start uh, banging the drum as well, going this is enough and um, where where do we have a say in this? You know, it's, it's too much football, and and they're already starting to talk about that anyway, and they're talking about the Christmas breaks in the, in, in Europe, and obviously the fact That there isn't one in England, so. And um, if it was somehow to get through on a vote, it's, it won't be the end of it. and But it won't be just UEFA and Commonwealth. It'd be probably FIFA Pro or whatever, the various different associations that uh, represent the players. So um, it, it turned into a bit of a soap opera. But I I haven't seen enough, apart from look how much money we're going to make. I haven't seen the real true benefit of a World Cup every two years. And I personally think it's dead.
0: Yeah, myself too. We'll, uh, we'll leave that one there because... This is going to roll on for a while. Uh, for me, I don't see it as a, as a goer. I don't think too many people see it as a goer, but uh, it'd be interesting to see if they can push it through. And if they do push it through, um, what pushback it'll get. So uh, we'll have a look at that again. Over the weekend, the Premier League had some astonishingly poor refereeing decisions. Uh, Newcastle non-peno. Kane stayed on. Robertson sent off. Neil, it's not just over the weekend. This is a consistent thing. And... and we talk about VAR. It's not really VAR's fault here for a lot of these decisions. Referees get decisions wrong on the pitch, but it's who's in place in VAR. There's, a, there's big question marks over those, isn't there?
2: Yeah, there, there's, um, there's been a lot of questions asked this weekend, and I guess this weekend is a kind of a watershed moment. Uh, last weekend, we had, you know, six or seven penalties that were all given that were all for the top sides, as they were saying, and they were all given, and a lot of them were a little bit um, debatable, or a couple of them were debatable, and now they seem to have swung in the other direction now this weekend where they really, really got some big decisions badly, badly wrong. Um, the Newcastle one where the keeper slid out um, and, and, and clattered your man in the box, that stands it. That was an unbelievable decision. I actually only seen that in match of the day, but when it was described, I really didn't think it would be that bad. And when you actually see it on the telly, like I could just picture the guy in the VAR going, Yeah that's not worth looking at again. It's just incredible <laughs> that anybody of any age or have ever played football or watched football could actually make a decision and allow that not, not to be given as a penalty. Um, Harry Kane obviously was the big one because it was more high profile. It was a Liverpool Spurs game uh, and Harry Kane makes a high profile. Um, and then Jurgen Klopp obviously had issues come out after the game really strongly. But every pun that, you know, your match of the day, there's not one person coming out and, and helping the referees here saying this is an honest mistake. And um, They even had Gallagher on the Sky Sports today, or, or the, uh, BT, whichever one he does be on, discussing the incident and saying he, he cannot see one reason why A, the referee on the pitch didn't see it, and B, VAR didn't see it. So... From what they're kind of saying, they come in every weekend after the results come in, the Premier League plays their whatever, their 10 games, and then they have a little discussion over what went well and what didn't go well. And they are I won't say they're blaming it on, but they're saying this is a kind of a hangover from last week. We gave everything and you've out about it. And now this week we've kind of given nothing and you're giving out about it. But it only really seems to be the Premier League that seems to get into these messes that they can't sort out. You never hear of this kind of profile stuff happening to Messi, you know, in, in France or, you know, in Spain or in Germany. It it just seems to be the English FA that keeps making the balls of it. So I don't know what they're going to do, but they need to have some sort of, you know, there has to be something to come out of it this weekend because you imagine there's a lot of furore going on around it. It's a massive discussion. Where it will lead, I do not know. But it's all people want is... I think more interaction that the VAR is as accountable as the guy in the field. He's got the guy with the replays. He's got the, you know, a couple of seconds to stabilize themselves and look over what's happened. And yet still we seem to be making a mess of it. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting where this one goes from here.
0: Dave, the marriage that the VAR decided against giving the penalty to uh, this, against the City defender because Joe Cancelo came away with the ball. How does that make any sense whatsoever?
1: Exactly. Um, just before I go into that, Nick like I think, without saying it, kind of hit the nail on the head. Like where you you gave out last week, and now this week we're not giving them, and you're giving out again. It's not about kind of changing what way, changing how you officiate games, based on people's perceptions week on week. Just follow the rules. Like you know, it's got nothing to do with what we think. Just follow the rules and be consistent. Like everyone on the motherland, he got cleaned out. It wasn't even, it, it's not up for debate. And regardless of where um, Joe Cancelo was at the ball, Fraser hadn't got a chance to go after him or chase after him. It's a foul all day long. There's just this magical little rectangle where I'd say the referee shit himself because, um, because if it was anywhere else in the pitch, he'd give it as a free. Uh, uh, so why? what difference does it make inside the box? Um, and, and once again, if Ford are kind of hammers home people's doubts about Big teams getting favourable decisions, even though it's probably got nothing to do with the fact that it's City. It's just incompetency again with the with the referee. Same with the Spurs and Liverpool game yesterday. Like you know, Kane, the, the the angle that he came at, he was just coming at him straight away, like straight on, like a runaway train. So winning the ball or not winning the ball, Robertson was going up in the air,
0: um,
1: so he wasn't in control. Like if he follows the rules or looks at. Because that's what I think they do. They hide behind the rules in grey areas. And I think with Barrow with Kane, oh, he dealt with it and he gave it a book. And so it's not clear and obvious. He seen it and did something. So let's hide behind the rules.
0: Did you, you find, Dave, went, Dave, did you find that when Kane didn't get sent off in the first half, it was nearly yeah. like, okay, they, they haven't sent them off. But the Robertson one highlighted it even more at the end of the game.
1: Exactly. Exactly, and probably they, they they probably thought they were trying to rectify the situation But if anything, they just made it worse Because mm. you did it for one, but you didn't do it for the other Now, in, 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 in real time It did look a bit like a world challenge And then once I seen the replay, I went, yeah, he's in trouble here But I, I just naturally thought He was in trouble, I wasn't thinking About the previous one, it's just I naturally thought it was a sending off And he went, and he went. but then you're going Why on earth was the first one not done And then of course People can start banging the conspiracies again about England captains or people because somebody brought it up this morning. Oh, do you remember um, Alan Shearer kicking whoever it was in the face and he got away with it? Is is this the way it is for England captains all the time? You're like, Christ almighty, I, I doubt if that's what referees are thinking, but I can see why they're giving out about it. Um, but you know, there you go. It's like the two look at the two instances with penalties with Joss's, he was definitely pushed, was he waiting for it? You bet your heart he was. I thought in real time it looked like a penalty um, let's face it and um, Delhi I got nervous I was like oh here we go but then I seen it and it was a dive and there's another one it was a dive it was obvious it was a dive and he stuck the leg out so why didn't Barr go and tell the referee listen he dived give him the booking the way you should so there's loads of decisions where they just bottle it based on the grey area of the rules like they're finding the grey areas to hide behind as well as players uh, and, and managers you know so even them themselves are hiding behind
0: what can be done? It, it's it, we, we've been looking at this and talking about this not only last year but even at this year when they've changed the rules and they still don't seem to have ironed out the creases. Bar, you know, handball isn't handball the way it used to be.
2: Yeah, it um, it 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 really is a nightmare, right? I tell you what, it is. Last year, remember all in penalties that were given for a contact? It didn't matter if it was kind of indirect once someone felt a little bit of contact and it didn't really matter what way they go down um once they got the contact the penalty was given they've kind of eliminated that one this year which I think is a great help um they've eliminated a large percentage which I was in huge favor of of like the Delhi alley one where the guy goes in and it looks so slick so clever the way he went down yesterday if that was You know, if there was no VAR, 10 referees, half of them might have given that because he made it look so slick the way he just spread the leg and onto the ground with him, bam. Like, he really must have walked on that deli alley as well as his fashion modelling. But um, it just annoys me that they've done good work in that regard. They've stopped that little contact and players going down that easy. And yet, you can't look at him slow motion and identify it at the time. So maybe retroactive you know as in the day after the game, for example, the Deli alley suspend them for a game. I'd love to see something like that, and maybe you can't suspend them, maybe you give them a caution, maybe you can't suspend them I don't know, but they need to do something a to help the referees because at the end of the day Delhi is trying to con a referee and doing that oh that's um, that's fine there
0: yeah that's fine though but if if referees are getting decisions wrong. As badly as they are yeah. with the other decisions, that's, you know, Delhi Ali's not going to help them, you know. So there's still those decisions are going to be there. Yes, we, I think we'll agree that anyone who's diving or anyone who's trying to con, they should get punished. But those decisions, even the Jota one, where Jota should have got a penalty and the excuse that came out was, well, he, the, the referee said the reasoning, not the excuse, the reasoning behind it was because he slowed down and he was looking for the foul. So when we looked at back, he he didn't even slow. He didn't stop. The referee actually said he stopped. He took four or five quick steps to slow himself down to prepare to shoot, and then got clattered over. Yeah. So, why can't these referees see? And they're talking about on Sky Sports. We need people who play the game and all that. You only have to play a game at a certain level of football to understand that kind of thing. So it's not as if they have to be Premier League players who are refereeing games. But there's something really badly missing that they can't identify. It is. Did, did Have these ever played football? That's the question.
2: Well, Jurgen Klopp had a go at your man and said that he clearly has never played football before. But like, let's be honest, right? And, and I think you're you're on the right track there. These are not just like misses that they make that you might go, ah, yeah, I could see where he makes a mistake. These are absolute glaring. As we would say, stonewall penalties, stonewall decision. The Hardy Kane, the Jota one to me were absolutely cut and dry. There was no middle ground. There was no one to say You know, I understand where he came from on that one and then the referee seemed to be making things worse by saying oh yeah I felt that he stopped and waited what a stupid thing to be saying if he did say it to Jurgen Klopp so at the end of the day what can you do when guys don't understand enough about the game, the fundamentals about the game whether they've played it or not and can't make the right decision they need to replace these guys they need to bring in people, and it doesn't have to be ex-pros. I don't know if there's enough ex-pros to go around that could make these decisions. Maybe there is from year, But the bottom line is, it look it, it's common sense. Armchair sofa fans could make that decision yesterday. So why is it that highly trained, you know, people are brought in to do rule books. They're told what is, in essence, a penalty and what is not. What is a free kick, what is not you know, all the rules down to the nitty-gritty, you cannot make them decisions. The only thing you can do is be ruthless and move them along and find somebody that can make the correct decisions. But also, maybe you need to look at the upper tier of who's actually hiring these guys, giving them instruction and, and allowing them away with this week in, week out. Maybe you need a bit of change at the top as well to bring in people that are better equipped to, to give out the
0: instruction. Yeah, 100%. Dave, I'll just finish with you because... We've had a couple of examples of referees coming out there. We've They've always asked for referees to come out and explain what the, why they gave a, a, a penalty, why they didn't give a penalty, etc. On this occasion or two occasions, they've come out, they've described and told us why they didn't give it and they've kind of made a mockery of themselves and, and they probably won't do it again.
1: Hundred percent, and and they'll go back into their holes again and, and hide as, as usual. But like, just a quick question, lads. Like, I don't watch, say, every La Liga game or Bundesliga or Syria or League, as the way I would the Premier League. But I would watch the Champions League. I suppose that, way. I couldn't tell you referees from anywhere else. I don't know if they're as famous as the English ones. And the English ones aren't famous for being a, for doing their job well, and I don't know if that's just my opinion or is that a common uh, perception from people. But I wouldn't have a clue. And if anyone, if any of them that I do know, it's more because of their face. I wouldn't know their name. Because, like the ones that I would, I go, oh, I think he's decent enough, like and he's solid enough. But like for some reason, the English just are just shining out. We we can we Now obviously I watch it more than everyone else, and I just don't know what's going on. That they seem to grab headlines the way I don't think any other leagues referees do. Um, you know, obviously they do from time to time, but with the English league, it's as consistent as it is. And I just don't know what do you think of that, or do you notice it when you are watching any other football or Champions League football? Do you really notice the referees? Because I personally don't.
0: Yeah, I, th- I listen. I th- maybe the eye is on the ball with the English football. Mm-hmm. I, th- I I can. There's never very much controversy when you, you look around the leagues, when you're looking at reports, when you watch games. There's not as much controversy as there is yeah. in England. And I I can't understand that myself. I, I do think yeah. that there's no doubt that there's more controversy around English football than there is any other football, but they surely have yeah. it in other places. Yeah, yeah.
1: But just to hammer home, yeah, no, I agree with you there. But I just hammer home exactly what Neil said, it's a responsibility and people being... Um, held responsible and yeah, uh, somebody has a bad game like uh, he did yesterday you know you're back in the championship for a week or two you know and, and think about what you did like there has to be some repercussions you can't just go oh yeah it wasn't your best one you know it really wasn't your best one plus your quotes were what you said to the manager Camille and even still like what you said make the mockery so I'm not saying they should be sacked and never come back again but it's like yeah you're in the cooler for a while you can't because well, can. this is big business and that game could have been completely different based on a few different decisions I think now overall the game was brilliant and it was full of drama for the neutral but there were certain things that didn't portray the game very well and unfortunately it came from the officiating
0: yeah 100% listen we're not here to talk about enjoyable football Dave <laughs> <laughs> OK, uh, COVID, as everyone knows, is rampant around English football at the moment and the Premier League have decided to keep a full fixture list over the Christmas period. Neil, is this a mistake?
2: Ah, uh, God, you know what, Roy, it is. Uh, if I if I knew the reason why, say, they, I, I think what they're saying is every team can apply or send in a request to have a game called off due to their needs, due to their injuries, due to COVID, etc., um and then it will be uh, decided individually. How Leeds United, for example, get to play with like what was it, four or five, you know, first team players, was it even less? Um, and a, and a really, really average team. Uh Chelsea with four on the bench, uh Liverpool had five, whatever it was, of their first teamers out. Um, you know, the, the list goes on and on and on, and yet Man United spores were off. There's a good few teams that were called off. So in one hand, yo, I think once you have an available squad and you have enough players to play, I think you should play. Um, but on the other hand, there's a clear advantage after happening here and David tell you watching the Liverpool game, yes, see, Spurs had a lot more legs in that second half than Liverpool did. So, you're beginning to give other teams an advantage when they rest. Um, and, a, and a team obviously a disadvantage if they're playing week in, week out. and this isn't even from a Liverpool perspective this is a Leeds perspective for example they've been ravaged um, in the last two weeks and yet they've had to play every single game so whereas I, I think you need to draw a line as well Jurgen Klopp aimed on it yesterday because he really hates the 26, 28, 29 that way where you have to play the two games within the three game uh, three days so he's coming at this also from another angle It's not not necessarily COVID. So from a COVID perspective, um, they're probably better off breaking for one cycle. I don't think they can really afford to break for two or three cycles because you end up playing too many midweek games. And, you know, what happened last year, teams couldn't catch up on the games. But um, regardless of the Christmas fixture, I think they should have broke for one cycle and given them time to recuperate and players time to come back. Because at the end of the day, you want to see the best players play and you want to see the best matches. And from a lower perspective, I take my eye off the top of four or five. I also want to see your Newcastle, your Leeds, your Burnley's have the same opportunity that, you know, they're getting the rest of their players. So when you're Ravage and it's legit, I think they should have broke it for a cycle or two.
0: What's your thoughts on it, Dave? There's, I suppose there's a lot of money surrounding, especially with, I think Amazon are in there as well, surrounding these games. So, Car's course, money uh, does rule. I heard a couple of managers say that they think that at least one of the games, the 26th or 28th, maybe should be, be called off because the squads are so thin. Neil's right about the fairness. Uh, there doesn't seem to be any sort of uh, procedure in place. It, uh, there, no one understands what gives you the chance to get a game called off or, or not. Uh, it doesn't seem fair. What's your thoughts on the whole thing?
1: Um, and then the last thing that needs to be mentioned as well is the safety of the players um, now we can debate about vaccinations or no vaccinations or no aspect, but it's all about uh, are we going to get to see all our football or are we going to earn as much money like what about the players like there was 42 cases last week which was the highest and it's more than double this, year, this week between uh, the 13th and 19th December and now there's only 19 new positive cases so there's one or two things that in my opinion are common sense and I think the 28 fixtures are the fixtures around that just to break it up a little bit but FA Cup replays have now been scrapped in rounds three and four, um, and talks are ongoing whether to reduce the EFL Cup semi-final ties to one-leg matches. That shouldn't be had to do with COVID. That should just be over one leg. It's a stupid rule and needs to be gone. Just so more teams can generate more money, that then than than they can shake a stick at. Listen, common sense has to come into this at some point and the Premier League and, and the EFL have a great chance to be above government and be above people and do what's right. Because even when the gates, even when they opened up uh, for three and 4,000 or, or 10% capacity there a couple of months back, most grounds, they put them all the on one stand, which is ridiculous. Like we go to the ball games in Europe in the summer and we were spread around the whole ground for only three 3,000 people. While Liverpool had three or four thousand, they cut them all in the cup. Like you know, there's just simple, stupid things that are being done across the world, and the leagues are doing it as well. And it's about just being a bit, a bit sensible and thinking about the safety of players, and not only that, their customers and their fans as well, because it's not it's not helping. So just for a second, to take their heads out of the bottom line and think about what to do, what's right for for their product, because it could turn into fire uh, if it keeps going the way it does.
0: Yeah, it'll. I suppose it'll be seen in the future what came mm-hmm. of it. Uh, it's it's hard. It's a hard one to kind of fix and, and put together. I mean, you get if you get a week off, you get two weeks off. People are at home mm-hmm. with their families. You know, they're meeting and mixing people. It's yeah. probably a bad time of the year for it to to take a break as well. So, yeah, maybe just to get the house in order in there, and maybe they have to after Christmas a bit like last time they have to go yeah. into go you know. Into the back into their bubbles again maybe for a month or so and just kind of get the, the the ship together but that hasn't been, you know, put out there so it's as was uh, so you can just see more games being called off, unfortunately. Neil, there's been uh, a few accusations of uh, Jurgen Klopp being a bully on the sideline. What's your take on Jurgen Klopp and his bullish tactics?
2: Yeah, I think this is an interesting one, Roy. Because if you look at, like, you look at Antonio Conte versus Klopp on the sideline yesterday. You know, Conte is active. You know, he's he's hyper. He's jing up the crowd. You know, if you look at Jurgen Klopp versus Simeone, the way Simeone bigs up the crowd, but. There is something about Klopp, like now. Don't get me wrong; he's definitely a bad loser, and I appreciate that because I'm one myself. <laughs> but it's uh, you know, he he definitely is a different character when things aren't going well, and he's a very formidable individual where he he will get in your face and he will influence. Now, different managers influence in different ways. You know, I'll always refer back to Alex Ferguson years ago. He used to sit in the dugout and they used to say he used to go out onto the sideline for five minutes of the game. And for that five minutes, Man United scored two and got a penalty and not the decision went against him. So it's not like he was out there roaring and balling. even though he could turn on the hairdryer. But well, with Jürgen Klopp, there's a, an element. You've seen it after the game yesterday. Sky were all over him. The cameras followed him very, very closely after the game. And they caught a sound soundbite. Where he basically told the referee, You made a mess of the decision, you've never played the game before, what's your problem with me? That was the gist of it. Um and they went up into the kind of um uh, into the interview room where everyone was talking and they were kind of saying, Well, what do you make it at? And people were afraid to go, Wow, well, you know, he shouldn't be really doing that. And when I watched it, I kind of thought, Is he overstepping his line here? He did the little bell with the ref in the pitch when he gave him the yellow card, he went over the top. He probably got away with one then where he might have been sent to the stand or or, or sent somewhere uh, back to the dressing room, whatever way it works. So I think he pushes the boundaries, but I find it hard because he's the Liverpool manager maybe to criticise him for it, but I do find that he's the only one with that level of intensity or that level of ferocity and the way he carries it. So I'll be interested what you guys think of that.
0: Yeah, Dave... Simon Jordan came out today and he said more or less the same thing. And he and he, he used bullying as uh, as the word, I suppose, in every aspect in his technical area, whether it's bullying the opposition, bullying the fourth official, bullying the media. He's, is Klopp doing anything different than a lot of other managers who would have been around the league? I, I'll pick out... Alex Ferguson and Mourinho because again some of the top managers always have that presence that may be seen as you know forcing the hand of other people to get a decision that they need
1: In relation to the the guys you've mentioned Alex Ferguson and Mourinho they they would have done something similar whether it's the exact same or not is a different story but they're all very clever in how to play the game and how to manipulate things in their favour there was times where Ferguson would have come out and said something even a day or two beforehand where you're like Jesus Everyone and my mother knows exactly what he's doing here, but he's getting away with it. That's by the boy. But the one thing I will say, and Simon Jordan, I don't really care about his opinion because he should have said it six years ago. This is not new news. He crosses the line from time to time. He did it with Dortmund and he's doing it with Liverpool. That's why, for me, it's not a story other than whether you agree with how he goes about his business or not.
0: Because he's doing
1: nothing different than the whole time he's been at Liverpool, just like when he was at um, Dortmund and no doubt months before that. Um, I remember reading up on him uh, before he, he signed uh, for Liverpool. And um, one of the top chairman journalists was on for the BBC about him, saying about all the great things about him and how, how he's going to be wonderful for the league. But here's some of the cons, and it's his theatrics on the sideline and how he goes about his business with force officials and referees. So that was six years ago, and he did it again yesterday. And for me, I'm not justifying it, by the way, but what I'm saying is, so what's different now? Why all of a sudden are we talking about it now? Why didn't we talk about it six years ago? So if it is a problem, the FA and whoever should have dealt with it then. Now, you haven't created a monster. It's just who he is. So it's a case for me whether you agree with it or not. If you don't like it, that's fine. If you like it, I'm not saying that's fine. <laughs> not necessarily fine either. But this is not new for me, and this is who he is. And there's times where he does overstep, of which I have no shame in saying like that. But that doesn't mean I'm justifying. He just genuinely when he does.
0: So for Jordan to go on... Sorry, is it Dave? Whatever. Is it Dave? Because when Jurgen Klopp came here at the start, he was jolly. He had loads of charisma about him. He was positive. Uh, things were going his way. And now there seems to be that little bit more anger in him. There seems to be that little bit more bite. He doesn't seem to be as happy about things. And it just looks like there's an ugly part coming out of him.
1: Maybe, but to be honest, right? Roy- like, and I'll go back again and I'll sound foreign. He's done this before. And he did it before he came here. And he, he's very spiky and, and, and YouTube and Google it. Um, some of his interviews pre, pre-Liverpool. pre um, He is a bad loser. And but when he lost in the first year or two, he was spiky as well. But, you know, he's, he's at the stage now where he's there to be brought down. Because he's reached the top. He's, he's had his, his his great story. Um, of winning the league and he's done it now It's the time to start chopping him down a little bit and I'm not defending him by the way. I just think that that's the angle it's coming from now is the chance for us to go and he's a sore loser but when he's winning you kind of when when he acts like that when they're winning you admire his ferocity, uh, his ferocity if that's the right word his ferociousness but when they're not quite at the top and things might look like they're going their way now all of a sudden it's because he's a sore loser so the narrative for me is changing but I don't think he is that's just my taking, it, and I'm not trying to defend him, by the way, because I always think he pushes it. He's always on the edge, and he's crossed the line on, on several occasions, not just this season, but when he first started, and obviously before Liverpool. But I just definitely think the narrative has changed and where it's, he's not winning. They obviously had a poor season last year, and now City are looking as strong as the air, and obviously yesterday it didn't quite go his way. So, of course, he looks like he's um, the, ba- the bad guy in this instance.
0: Neil, managers, coaches, players, they'll all push the boundaries. They'll always do that to try and get that extra yard or decision or whatever it is. Does Is this acceptable in football? The, the league have never done nothing about it. Referees seem to be um, not as protected with this. If they were protected, this wouldn't be happening. So should something be done about it or do we just leave it?
2: Yeah, it's a hard one to to officiate, Roy, and I think the biggest problem is it's almost like a dark art, as they say, where you can push the limit to a certain point. The question is, can you go past that line? And I do think Klopp does go by that line, but the only way of reining him in is like that kind of retrospective action where you bring him in and fine him or ban him from the touchline for a week or two based on previous antics. Now, I think the fourth official, wasn't that the whole idea of bringing the fourth official in, that they had a kind of liaison on the side of the pitch that could discuss with the referee or maybe explain a rule or whatever it would be. But as a liaison type of position and what's after happening now is the fourth official gets it in the year more than bloody anybody and he just there's a load of it on Sky I don't know if you've seen a brilliant one a few weeks ago where Mike Riley was standing there and I can't remember the manager was absolutely roaring at him and Mike Riley gave this face of eh yeah and it was really just he took the (laughs) element of ferocity out of it and it was just kind of like well that was that He's vented. He said his piece, and now life goes on. So some of that can be, you know, a bit of gamesmanship. You're trying to get an extra decision, and again, the dark arts. Mourinho was brilliant at it. Ferguson's brilliant at it. So for me, I don't think it needs to be monitored that heavily. But every now and then, they might need to kind of put, come down and say, listen, like yesterday, where he got his yellow card, maybe you know ban him for a, a match into the into the stand. The he bowed at the ref, or he kind of did this kind of gesture to him. So maybe that was a little moment where the ref could have taken more authority and done something about it. But now the chance is gone and it's missed. So whether it happens again in that manner or they've missed an opportunity, I don't know. I don't think it needs a hell of a lot of attention, but it it is something that, you know, you admire it at times. Uh, I remember Arteta had a go, a clop on the sideline, and then all of a sudden Anfield came alive. And the next thing you know, Arsenal had a goal down. So. There's a little bit of it to admire sometimes but I think when you start using the word bullying it brings it to another level of something almost an ugly side we don't really want to see and, and and personally as a Liverpool supporter I don't want to see that. I like Klopp's antics to a point but I don't want to see him cross that line or at least not too often as Dave is saying be it good or bad as in that he's having a good year or a bad year. I want him to kind of have a little bit of integrity as well that you don't get dragged into that kind of conversation.
0: Yeah, I think that's where the FA come in. To make sure it doesn't go to uh, the bullying side of things, I think they have to make sure it's controlled and that they don't let ghetto a hand. So that's where they should be standing. And if they think it's going too far, well, they need to do the business there. Okay, Dave Antonio Conte at Spurs. Has he changed them? Looking at them against Liverpool, Uh, again, great game, 2-2. There wasn't much in what they were doing that the previous managers were doing.
1: No, um, there was a few little things, obviously, where they picked on the counter attack when obviously Liverpool over over and um, um, overload going forward with the fullback. So they obviously knew there was a bit of joy, and I think that's why why ali was brought in um, to kind of help out with Kane and Son in some way, shape, or form. I don't think much has changed as of yet. I think they're very much playing as well as they can because obviously he asks a lot of his team and obviously some of them are playing for their for their position at sports. But because of the, the team that it is, that's as good as I think they can be until Conte gets in more players. So that's why I don't think too much has changed other than the fact that they're actually trying to be better than what they, they have been. But I don't think that's much better than what they are. You know what I mean? That's my take
0: mm. Neil, is it just the motivational factor? Is he just getting what he can out of those players, and that's why they've gone on a great run of results?
2: Yeah, do you know what it is, right? You know, when sometimes you you see a manager get the sack, and you kind of say to yourself, "I'm really interested," you know, because you're you're not at a transfer window, and he has time to play with the with the team, but they're the same players. So Ralph Raniak has it now, Conte has it, and you want to kind of see what they do with the same players without adding their own kind of flavour to it through a transfer window or two. Now, looking at Spurs yesterday, I think he, he put Ryan Sessegnon in a Mo Salah. So you've got to be complimented on that because he kept Salah quiet all the game. They were doubling up on him with Ben Davies and Deli Alli was even given a dig then on the way back. But the reaction he's gotten out of the likes of Harry Winks and Dombele and Deli Alli in the midfield, I mean, at the end of the day, I know it wasn't Liverpool's top draw midfield here. Right? They were kind of more the reserves, but you know, Harry Winks gave a good account of themselves, but it was the rate of Ndombele and Deli Alli, where if that was a Mourinho team, you would have been going, they don't work hard enough, you know, they're not doing what Mourinho asks. You'd, you'd probably, he'd always feel the wrath of a player like that, you know, Mourinho fall out with these guys, but yet there's Ndombele and Deli Alli, who other managers couldn't really get a tune out of, walked their socks off, for the time that they were on the field yesterday, and you got to compliment Conte on that, so, well, I'll agree with Dave, I don't think they've changed even since Pochettino, Mourinho, as in their tactic of going forward and hitting Kane and Son on the break. I think the work ethic of their backline, the compactness, and the work ethic that uh, Conte has been able to get out with Deli Alli and Ndombele in particular, you have to appreciate that he's 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 given them an extra level, he's given them a motivation. Now whether he can get that out of them over five games, ten games, We'll wait and see, but for now it's a good start. But he's definitely he's he's given him a little bit more of an edge. It's just a question: Can he bring them up another level now?
0: Yep. And when you look at I suppose this half season so so far, Dave, what players have impressed you? Who 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 who's the players that have stood out in this half a year so far for you? Uh,
1: as regards new players signed in, or just in general,
0: either or, Dave.
1: Either or, well. Mo is the obvious one with his goals um, and I suppose you have to give a bit of credit to Jada because he's number two in the goalscoring charity but they're the obvious headline grabbing ones um, I leave one for Neil because I know where he's going with it <laughs> so I won't say him because he's, he's one of the obvious ones but I looked at it a little bit in relation to Simon's more so who kind of impressed and to be honest, I don't think there's been a massive amount of any of the new guys that came in, but I would have given honourable mentions to a couple of the full like Liberamento, at Southampton and Tavares at, um, at Arsenal, and I suppose even Dennis at Watford, um, and Wang, I suppose, at Wolves, but um, for me, I suppose I would probably, I think, Salah, because of some of the goals that he's got, and obviously some of the assists he's starting to bring back into his game, he's... He's still greedy, but he's starting to get the head up a little bit more. So I think he's the obvious star choice. But uh, obviously, then the fullback that Man City, Joe Cancelo, has really come on and leaped some bounce this year. Scored a cracker at the weekend, got a couple of nice assists, and is starting to show the the promise that he had at at, um, at uh, that big Italian club that I can't remember anymore, Juventus. Uh,
0: Neil, you you wanted to talk about Chelsea uh, on this regard because. It's interesting that you you sent on to us, I mean, Gallagher, who's on loan from Chelsea, and they got rid of him and brought in someone else who never got a game, really.
2: Yeah, so Gallagher has really impressed me this year for Palace. He's just been, every game you see him, he's got goals, his willingness to get forward. He's a young kid who went out on loan and took a risk. And let's be honest, it doesn't work out for everybody. You know, I know Chelsea do have a lot of kids out on loan or whatnot, but sometimes it just does not work out for you when you go out there but he's really grabbed the form, and Vieira has got a, a, a brilliant uh, couple of performances there with him. What I just thought it was interesting. The flip side of that is that Chelsea went for Saul uh, and off Atletico, who uh, we discussed to him a couple of weeks ago, or sorry, months ago, saying that he might be Liverpool bound. He was that type of player, defensive midfielder and enforcer, played under Simeone, only You know, high tempo, big game player, and he's been an absolute flop. Like he just. Every time you see him on the field, he's, he's off the, uh, the pace. He just doesn't look like a player at all. He's like, you know, I know we slag Timo Werner, but it's like he came from a different planet to come to the Premier League. It seems too quick for him. He can't get his feet sorted. He's making mistakes. Um, but it's amazing that you see a young lad like Gallagher play so well for Crystal Palace with no fear. And then you see a seasoned pro and saw come in and he he can't get into the Chelsea line-up even when they're missing Um, a lot of high profile players like Shalapa played in the midfield yesterday ahead of him um, which shows the kind of lack of trust that Thomas Tuchel has in him
0: Dave what do you make of the turnaround this year that Arsenal have made not just this year within this season from the start of this season to now at Christmas time it's just it's a miraculous change and you know, he was, Arteta was under real serious pressure. But you've got uh, Tommy Asu, you've got Ben White, uh, the ba- whole back line, basically, if you go through them, yeah. that have shored it up, including Ramsdale. But one player for me who, who stood out, he, he stood out since he's got there, but now he's starting to get the game time is Martinelli. And we kind of brushed on him last week, but he's shown alongside Saka. The class that they have there, and that, uh, and it'll be interesting now because it seems to be that this team, uh, with Abamian getting pushed out, that this team is starting to form a bond.
1: Hundred percent, and that's the biggest thing. Like, there's no shock here, lads. When I'm about to say it is a team game at the end of the day. You can have a Ronaldo or a Messi in your team, but you need that support and cast around you because if they're not of a certain standard, the individual can't do anything. But exactly what you just said there the back line have been incredibly tight. Tommy Asu has been a fine, Tavares has been playing well. I know Tierney is back. But White and Gabrielle have now tightened up and have created a nice bond. Ramsdale is flying at the moment. Then you've got the likes of Thomas Partey and there's been a few others in the back in there with him. But Odegaard is starting to even show up. Like, I'm rhyming off all the team. But Martinelli, without a shadow of a doubt, he showed a lot of goalscoring promise for the last couple of years when he's been in and out of the side, but just hasn't had a consistent run. Now he's in and he's been obviously given uh, plenty of uh, confidence from Arteta and he's starting to show his class. Like, he could be one of the go-to players for this side over the years to come But it's the fact that as you said There's that bond now and they're starting to become a team Because the first three games um, When we were talking about them And they lost the first three They just looked rudderless, they looked lost And of course they're looking to a guy in Aubameyang who is, Who as we all know Since the new contract is just dragging his heels Just doesn't seem to be as motivated He seems to have been motivated To get that contract And now he's, he's, he's reached the summit Which was getting the money That's the feeling that you get from looking from the outside So if that's your go-to guy that you're looking to, you're not seeing that effort. Unfortunately, it's it's infectious and it gets around the team. So the fact that he's not there and they're still doing what they're doing and they're rising up the table, they're in fourth, won their last three. Yes, they lost to a couple of the big lads, but that's because I think they're not just quite there yet because if they can bring one or two real stern players in, I'm not saying they have to bring in stars, but they're not far off and that kind of best-of-the-rest race for fourth could be very interesting this year now with the likes of West Ham and Man United and even Spurs all looking half-decent. That, that could be a, a right uh, humdinger because Spurs have three games in hand on them and they will overtake them if they if, if they win them. So, um, And obviously Chelsea are, are being pulled into it as well. So it could be a race for two spots. But um, Arsenal, it's very, very hard to um, poke hold of them at the moment. Um, I still wouldn't say they're a the done deal and... Uh, where they are but at the moment signs are good I think our confidence is strengthening because it's always been brittle once they lose one or two they, the the cracks start to show again but they lost two in a row and they've come back with a with a vengeance and hammered lead so they've won their last three so obviously they're made of a little bit more sterner stuff than what we've seen over the last couple of years um, so it's going to be interesting stuff and they're definitely in the mix of which there's no question when it comes to Champions League spots now
0: Neil We're going to finish on this one, but it grated me last year. It grated me the year before as well. But how much praise Bielsa got at Leeds for getting getting them promoted which listen it, it was a great achievement to get them promoted it, it wasn't the fact of the job that he did it was more the overpraise from the media and from ex-footballers on the, on the telly who made out that this fellow was a, a magician and that he's uh, he's untouchable and he's above every other manager that's in that league uh, not only the championship but even when he came into the Premier League last year he was made out to be a god I, I didn't see it. I see in a team that worked really hard. I see in he organised the team. He he's done well with them. Now he's having a bit of a struggle. He's he's finding it hard. Be it he's missing players. But even from the start of the season, they were they were finding things a little bit different this year. I don't see the whole you know blown smoke up his arse kind of thing. I I can't see how he's uh, better than Eddie Howe who got a team from the bottom fort. Uh, tier of English football to the Premier League and kept them there for years I don't see how he he has done a better job yes people in Leeds love him for being a god for getting them back in the Premier League but am I missing something I I don't see what it is yes I know he's a good coach yes I know he's a good manager but what I'm saying is the hype that surrounds that I just thought was amplified just extraordinarily
2: yeah, I, I, I tell you what it is, right. I, I wrote one up on him. Uh, I remember I messaged you watching Man United play Leeds there last year and I wrote that Solskjaer school, Bielsa. And to be honest with you, I could have wrote a lot of manager school, Bielsa, at that stage. It's just happened that I was watching that game and I really couldn't believe the way that Leeds tried to play against Man United and at the time who were absolutely rip, ripping teams on the counter-attack and Leeds just played right into their hand. Like It was just ridiculous watching it. Um I think there's something about Bielsa, obviously, because if you listen to the way Guardiola talks about him in particular, it's almost like he's the godfather of football and you have this respect for him. But, you know, we respect Jose Mourinho, we respect Klopp, we respect different managers, but you can't kind of turn away from the fact that they might be going out of fashion, you know what I mean? That way of playing, it's this naivety that it doesn't matter what team I have out there, what 11 are on the field, you know, centre-back playing right wing, right wing playing centre-back. This thing that Bielsa does, it's... it's. I don't even know what the word phrase. it. it, it, it there, there, there's a nicety about it when it comes off and they come up with a big result. But there's a huge naivety about it when you leave yourself as open as they do and you just allow your team to get pummeled. Now, Leeds last year got away with it because they had that tempo, that intensity. And, you know, if they played five games, they'd win two, draw one and get hammered twice. But you didn't really see it because they were back in the Premier League. The microscope is on them a hell of a lot more this year. And as you're saying, I know they've injuries, etc. But he doesn't seem to have a different way of playing other than to go full throttle at the opposition. And what's happening this year is managers have learned. And your Eddie Howe is even guys at the bottom. But your your managers have learned. Your Hasselhuhn and all these guys realize that if you just keep them out for a period of the game, they're just going to keep giving you chances. And the Arsenal uh, result was one, regardless of the team that was there, you would have seen coming because Arsenal are tailor-made to cut apart a team that tries to press you off the front while they're missing stars and leaving themselves open. And that's why Martinelli got in, Saka got in, Odegaard had a field day in the middle of the park. So... I do agree. I think Bielsa every now and then pulls out a big result. I think he has great respect among managers, but I also think they, they go too far. They don't do it around the way they do it with Bielsa, for example. Um, and for me, anyway, having haven't looked at him and the stats. And, you know, when I wrote the article, I definitely felt he was punching above his weight at times, but he was also very naive and, and kind of old school in other ways. And that was why they were getting pummeled the way they were.
0: Dave, finish off. Any thoughts on Bielsa?
2: Um, yeah. Look, uh,
1: Thiago, Ranik, um, any if anyone that's come from far, even Coutinho. I remember Redknapp bluffing his way about him, uh, pretending like he's seen him, and I think he played four or five games. For Inter. Bielsa, I think, is one of them where oh, these guys are classy, and I have to pick them up because then it looks like I know what I'm talking about when it comes to European football, even though they don't watch a minute of. That's the way it works. It's like Pogba was outstanding for Juventus and no one, anyone that said it pretty much didn't see him because he hasn't brought that to the table. The Elsa I think, is one of them to an extent. I have to say, I will be honest, what he did with Bilbao, they were a joy to watch the year they they got to the final of the Europa League. Jesus, I loved watching them play and I was very impressed and I think it was against United in, in that run, if I'm not mistaken. But, you know, being who he is and being a great man, man manager by the sounds of it that's brilliant and that's why he has a lot of love from people within the game but the media and stuff I think it's a bluffer's thing to try and prove that they know what they're talking about when it comes to European football which a lot of people tend to do I've seen him once known full well the rest of Europe didn't see it because the fact of the matter is they didn't see it either you know it's a bit of bullshitty but I think as much as I, I sound like I'm bitching about him I'm not really I think he I like the way he goes about his business but ultimately that side isn't good enough and the bubble is burst in the sense that as much as they play a nice game of ball when it when it comes off, I can rhyme off five or six players there when it comes to the Premier League. They're not going to be in the top half of the table if they're in the same team together. So Leeds have to strengthen the team if they want to make his way work or else go another route because they're not they're not good enough in general regardless of whether Bielsa is there or not. But I think with Bielsa it's very much I need to sound like I know what I'm talking about when it comes to European football. And deep down, when people are talking about, it, especially in TV, they don't. But because Pep said he's a good man, like yeah, without a shadow of a doubt, he would have played a, a big factor in Aguero. But just because they said it doesn't mean he necessarily is, you know. But if they do it all the time, like Thiago was this, he he walked across the uh, the English Channel from from, from 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 Germany. This guy is outstanding, and he's just a, an all round solid midfielder. But that's it. Just like Pogba was just this. Messiah from Juventus and just like Coutinho was this absolute guru from, from Inter Milan media do it all the time when it comes to some lads from Europe to try and make it out that they, they know what they're talking about
0: Ok we're going to leave it there um, Dave and Neil thanks very much for all this year um, a happy Christmas first of all we'll be back again next week of course but we uh, be during the Christmas period You out there listening, thanks very much for your support when you listen to any of the Big Kickoff podcasts or uh, the Facebook page or website, thebigkickoff.com. Thanks very much for your time. We really do appreciate it. And I hope you and your family have a great Christmas.